someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you short But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in Tokyo, Japan. And today we're going to do something a little different. I'm actually flying solo this time, and I'm welcoming a very special guest today. The first time I've ever actually interviewed someone by myself on Japan Distilled. Formerly from the finance world, he's a long term Tokyo resident. He's a history and culture fanatic, a baseball nut. And the owner of two successful and impactful Japan based businesses. We'll cover all of these bases and more during this episode. But without further ado, and no matter where you are in the world listening to Japan Distilled right now, please put your hands together for Max Salmon. Thank you very much, Chris, for that wonderful introduction. I cannot convey how much it, it is an honor to be here finally on an episode of Japan Distilled, of which I've been an avid fan. For the previous 60 episodes or so. Oh, thank you. So, we, we initially met through our affinity for the Tokyo Swallows, which is Tokyo's lesser known baseball team, of course. How long ago was that? I can't. I think it was 2010. I was definitely aware of you in the stadium. Back then, there was a lot less tourism to Japan, and also there were fewer foreign fans of the team. And so, you know, the odd face stood out. And、uh, yours was one of them. So <laughs> it's interesting. Odd. Yeah, but it was really、uh, the 2010 season that、uh, me and you joined forces and teamed up and started actually standing together and watching games together. Yeah, that was well, thank you very much to you as well for joining us today. It's an honor for us to have somebody so prolific and accomplished in terms of getting the word out about Japan's drinks. So, you know, kindred spirits, no pun intended. But for starters, can you just tell us、uh, a little bit about your, what are your credentials in terms of what you've done in the alcohol space? Sure. So I think I'm here,、uh, as well as our shared love of the Tokyo Yakult Swallows,、uh, because I'm the founder of a Japan drinks content platform called Kanpai Planet. Which primarily sits on YouTube, but also extends to other social media such as Twitter and Instagram.、Uh, I've also taken the WSET Level 3、uh, SAKE qualification、uh, and managed to achieve a distinction in that. And I've also、uh, a certified SAKE professional by the SAKE Professionals Council, which is John Gauntner, you know, the OG. Uh, Saka. The OG,、uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolute legend.、Um, and uh, under his auspices,、uh, I,、uh, I took a qualification as well. Both of those I managed to get done during the pandemic. And as a result of that,、uh, here we are now. You've done some lecturing and training too, right? Yeah, I guess some of the opportunities that I've got through Kanpai Planet have been.、Um, Started to host a lot of、uh, drinks tastings,、uh, Nihonshu, uh, whiskey, uh, even shochu as well.、Uh, one of the more interesting opportunities, a very, very famous hotel in Switzerland was starting to expand its Japanese whiskey menu and actually reached out to me to train the team. So I was able to give some online training 
um, to about 50 members of staff uh, about the history of Japanese whiskey and also the stories behind the individual bottles that they have in order to uh, facilitate them being able to to sell uh, the whiskeys which they had acquired. Very cool. Well, here we go. This is Japan Distilled meets Kampai Planet. Mac, thanks for joining us. And yeah, I mean, I guess that would let me go straight into the speed round. All right. This is very simple, Mac. You just have to react in a couple of words to everything that I'm saying, to the prompts that I give you. All right. And I'm, there's going to be 12 of them. And don't overthink anything. Here, here it is. Your first job. Working in a frozen food factory. Your favorite food? Ramen. Your preferred convenience store chain? Family Mart. Oh, I'm surprised it's not 7-Eleven. <laughs> Your favorite season in Japan? Anything but the summer. <laughs> Your favorite subject in school? Mathematics. Your last vacation destination? The United Kingdom. Marvel or DC? DC. SoftBank Hawks or Gomuri Giants? I mean, obviously the SoftBank Hawks, but <laughs> the, the, the phrase lesser of two evils is banded around a lot these days, but That's yeah, the, yeah, the Gomuri Giants definitely much more evil than the SoftBank Hawks. I concur. Asahi Super Dry or Natty Light? Natty Light. You're buying a new car. What brand? Maserati. Damn. Sumo or J-League footy? Sumo. Uh, standing bar or record bar? Standing bar. Have you been to any good bars recently? Like any anything that was eye-opening or places that you would definitely recommend? Yes. I recently became a member of the top secret Sake Bar O. Uh, they have two branches, one in Aoyama, one in Nakamegro. Absolutely fantastic uh, environment and some very, very top-notch drinks. So that's one that immediately comes to mind. Uh, another bar that I think people should visit when they're in Tokyo is Bar Stereo up in Takadanobaba, yeah. which treads a nice balance between a listening bar, but without the pretension that some of these listening or vinyl bars have, mm -hmm. combined with a phenomenal array of drinks uh, and actually a surprisingly good selection of whiskey uh, for a bar that doesn't particularly focus on it. True. Yeah, good tunes there a lot of the time. They have live DJing. We've both been there many a many an evening for uh, some of the entertainment. So definitely look it up. But you know, we're already jumping into the booze end of things. And that makes sense because this is Japan distilled. But I kind of want to get your origin story you know, to a reference to the DC comics here. What does your timeline look like going all the way back to Exeter? To and bringing us to the present day, can you give us some of the big beats from that? Yeah, okay. So, uh, I understand normally these episodes are about 40 minutes, but this one might be a bit longer. <laughs> so, you know, chapter zero, the embryo years. <laughs> um, seriously, though, I was born in Exeter in Devon, uh, which is in the southwest of England in the United Kingdom, um, a few decades ago. And that's where I lived all my life until I went to Warwick University. And I studied mathematics and physics there. That then took me to jobs in Greater London and then London itself, working within the insurance industry, first within a company and then consulting. And it was during my first job that I came on vacation in 2002 for 17 days to Japan for the World Cup. 
for any American listeners out there. Yeah, I don't have to say Soccer World Cup anymore because I think the growth of MLS and uh, the signing of Messi means everybody knows that when the planet says World Cup, they mean football. And that tournament Mm -hmm. was split between South Korea and Japan, and all of the England games were held in Japan. So that was my first trip to the land of the rising sun back in 2002. That's pretty phenomenal. I was just transitioning between Korea and Japan at that time. So I remember that tournament very, very well. It was pandemonium. It really was. I was able to travel the length and breadth of the country as a result of where the England games were being held. So the first match was in Saitama and then up in Sapporo and Hokkaido then all the way down to Osaka and then across to Niigata for the uh, round of 16 game. And as a result of that, really went, you know, all the way from uh, up in the north of the country, all the way down to Hiroshima and Miyajima. And yeah, I like Japan, but I've got to say it was really Tokyo that I fell in love with. And I always knew that my destiny lay outside the UK. I find it very strange that people are so wedded to the piece of earth that their parents decided they should be born on. So I... It, it, it helped me really focus, you know, instead of, you know, entertaining job offers from Malta or New York or, or Paris uh, or Dubai, you know, that dream and that goal that one day I was going to move to Tokyo was born. And it really helped me focus for the next three years of my professional career until I was able to quit my job in London and then move to Japan in August 2006. And were you doing essentially the same line of work when you transitioned over here? Yes, I did. So I was working for KPMG in London in actuarial consulting, and I quit that and I started a new job here with ING Life, working within the insurance industry. A year later, I transitioned into investment banking, so equity analysis, so analyzing insurance companies from an investor perspective. That went well. I expanded my coverage. I moved companies. And then if we fast forward to the start of 2017, that's when I launched the website for my travel business, Maxim Planet. And judging, of course, by the amount of traveling that you did during the World Cup and, you know, from top to bottom of the country and left to right, it sounds like travel certainly is a big part of what you like to do with your free time and certainly became a big part of your first company here in Japan, correct? That is absolutely spot on, Chris. So, I'm very lucky to have visited 108 countries. And it was through those uh, journeys that when I was looking to have my own adventure and become my own boss and set up my own business, I turned to travel, uh, one of my biggest loves, as a focus. Now, you may know that Japan has undergone a huge tourism boom uh, over the last decade or so. Uh, If we look back to 2011, we had just over 6 million visitors to Japan. If we fast forward to 2019, the year before the COVID-19 global pandemic, we had just under 32 million. It's crazy. That's been a five-fold growth in eight years. Absolutely. It's been a huge focus for the government. Um, The weakness of the currency has played a huge part. Visa deregulation, all of that has played a role in more and more people coming to Japan, as well as Japan's soft cultural power growing more and more. Uh, the anime, the manga, the computer games, and of course, the food and drink, which is uh, yes. what uh, we, we want to enjoy really talking about. So yeah, I wanted to basically take some of the lessons I've learned. I've traveled by myself. I've traveled 
in a couple. I've traveled with friends. I've traveled on group tours, private tours, um, solo travel uh, to all seven continents. And I wanted to bring some of the lessons I've learned to the tour offering uh, that Maxion Planet provides. Maxion Planet. So that was born again. What year was that? So that was born in February 2017. All right. Uh, that's when I launched the website. And then uh, a few weeks later, uh, I got my first tour that had organically been discovered through uh, the website. And fast forward now to 2023, uh, a little hiccup. We don't need to discuss that. No. Um, but uh, yeah, and things are, uh, are going strong again, both for Japan's tourism industry and uh, I'm happy to say for us as well. Yeah, as a, as a friend... And just looking over your shoulder during that entire process, watching you take it from this idea, this concept to quickly a very beautifully uh, curated and populated website to having tours pretty much every day of the week and being booked half a year in advance, that sort of thing was amazing to observe. But it obviously all sort of, you had to hit the pause button big time during 2020, 2021, maybe 2022. What were you doing during that time when there wasn't any inbound tourism? Sure. So obviously, global pandemic and Japan's uh, border policy response was not best for the inbound tourism industry here. So I had to pivot. Uh, one of the things I did was I connected with a chef here, Nahoko, and we did online monthly cooking classes. I also started working with a number of local governments uh, to help them improve their tourism offerings. I actually did some tours for local people, so uh, Japanese citizens and also Japan residents uh, during that period. And I started making more YouTube content on the Maxion Planet YouTube channel. In fact, near the end of 2020, I set myself this 12-week challenge where I forced myself to put out one video a week. And that really helped me improve my storytelling and also my video editing. Now, it was out of that that the idea for Kanpai Planet was born. You see, I was looking for initially quicker, easier content to make for Maxion Planet. And I had just created this concept called Tokyo Taste Test. And in fact, the first Tokyo Taste Test was me reviewing the strawberry flavored Coca-Cola in oh, yeah. a, level, a level of depth that, that you reserve for discussing the most nerdy of emo shochus. Uh, so, exactly. uh, but, you know, I, it was just me essentially sitting down in a chair and adding a little bit of B-roll. And so it was out of that that I thought, well, you know, why don't I make more content along those lines? And the depth that I wanted to go into and the amount of content I wanted to put out made me think that it probably needed its own platform, its own channel, and its own brand. And so it was that in February 2021, I started Kanpai Planet. Right. Yes. And the, the videos were really the focus there. I mean, why, why did you start with video? Why was there not a website for Kanpai Planet or even... Geez, the more modern way would even be to just do TikTok or Instagram, I suppose. Sure. It's a very good question, actually. Maybe it's because I'm a huge sucker for punishment uh, because anybody who's attempted to edit anything resembling long form video, even making something that is only, and of course, uh, this podcast format doesn't allow people to see my air quotes uh, that I'm making, <laughs> and only, only 10 minutes long, 
right. and knows just how much work goes into you know making anything that's even vaguely watchable. Uh, but yeah, basically, I really wanted to go into depth, and it, you know, there is just a depth that you know an eight, ten, twelve minute video allows you to go into that you know the shorter form, uh, one minute YouTube Shorts or Instagram Reels or, or TikTok just doesn't allow you to do. As for uh, why not a website, initially, I did want to use YouTube as the platform. Um, and the thing about video, I think, is if you can be successful at it, then the, the success amplifies in a way now that perhaps you know websites and blogs do not. So it was that combination of depth, uh, wanting um, you know something that could kind of really hook people in and also, there is a reason why, you know, books are turned into films and it's not so much that, you know, the novelizations notwithstanding, films are turned into books, uh, yeah. right? There's a reason why human beings get excited when a successful story that's in print uh, becomes a TV show. Uh, and that is because people just respond uh, much more to the audiovisual medium. Fair point. And the videos that you were putting together were, I think, ambitious is probably the wrong way. It's an understatement. They were incredibly polished, very well, uh, very thoughtfully produced. And what what kind of work goes into making one of those things? Sure. It's kind of ironic, Chris, that I initially started this with the aim of producing content faster Right. <laughs> and then the first one uh, that I put out was a review of the Foo Fighters Sake. So I don't know if you recall, but a couple of years ago, uh, the Foo Fighters yeah. uh, teamed up with Tatanokawa Sake Brewery from Yamagata and released two sake uh, to coincide with the release of the Foo Fighters' new album, Medicine at Midnight. And that was my first uh, video. And that took me four days to make um, because what I just found myself going more and more into was just more and more depth in terms of trying to explain certain concepts, certain terminology. And as you experience yourself, primarily with shortu, Chris, but also the other drinks that you touch, it's sometimes tough to talk to a non-Japanese audience about these things because people are just not familiar with the terms and the concepts. Right. Right. So there's there's a work that needs to be done, which uh, you and Stephen have done fantastic work on, you know, especially in the early episodes of Japan Distilled in just building that language and building that familiarity. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, initially, you know, I'm there and I'm wanting to talk about Saken, I'm wanting to talk about Junmai and I'm wanting to talk about Daiginjo and what these terms mean. And this is made with an omachi rice. Mm -hmm. And you found yourself going more and more uh, into those uh, fundamentals. Yeah, definitely. The basics will take up a lot of your time pretty much at every turn. But after a while, you did get into, you, you did all sorts of stuff. Can you tell us some of the highlights and maybe even a low light of everything that you've seen, done, accomplished with Kanpai Planet? If I had to name one highlight, it had to be my experience spending one week on Sado Island making Japanese sake. And then the production and release of a nine-part documentary about that whole experience, uh, which is called Making Sake on Sado, uh, which you can find on a dedicated playlist on the Kanpai Planet YouTube channel. 
it was an unbelievable experience. I cannot really express actually in words uh, how rewarding, uh, how challenging uh, the whole time uh, making a Nihonshu was. Uh, and that's actually one reason why video is great at that, because you can you can watch the sweat literally pour off my face as we're in the muro making that koji, right. which would be added to the uh, tank, you know, during the Sandang Jikomi. It's just a great medium for people to really join me on that journey. Uh, the reason why there are nine parts is that there's one uh, very short introductory episode and then one episode about 15 minutes long uh, for each day that I spent at the brewery. And then the ninth episode, I actually got uh, one of Japan's most renowned sake experts, Christopher Hughes, yes. to taste test my sake and for him to uh, to give, hopefully, uh, the seal of approval on what me and my teammates, uh, the Rising Dragons, had made. And I think everybody should. I've, I've watched them myself, and they are phenomenal, incredibly educational and entertaining uh, simultaneously. A very difficult thing to pull off quite honestly. But the production values on that series, that nine-part series, are off the charts. They're television level. They're better than te television level. This should be a Netflix series, honestly. So get over to YouTube while they're still free and um, watch all nine of them is is the, the least I can say about that uh, endeavor. And that's great that you had such a positive experience from it because it I can only imagine the process of just just making something like sake or making something like shochu that takes 2 days worth of energy in one work shift basically so you're exhausted but on top of that you were planning out outlining storyboarding this series that you were going to edit after the fact and that to me is just mind-boggling if you have any nice things to say about the production and editing, then all of that praise goes to Danielle Kelly at New Media Eye, who I engaged to mastermind uh, the production of Making Saki on Sado. Uh, she's one of Tokyo's best uh, video editors, and she's worked with brands like Adidas, uh, Netflix, uh, Rigaku, Nissan. So to be able to work with her on uh, a production like this was a real honor, and she was able to bring all of her expertise uh, to make everything look as professional as it was. So it was uh, it was absolutely a, an honor to be able to engage her to work on this uh, this production. Well, first compai of the episode to Danielle Kelly. So if you're looking for professional grade direction on these sorts of things, then definitely get in touch with her. Um, what about, and, and I'm getting FOMO here because I haven't experienced that, uh, that whole sake making journey on Sato Island. But if you had a low light to chuck into the mix here, what would that be? I think it would be a couple of things. One low light, which is not really a low light, is the fact that each of these videos takes me about three days to make even something as standard as, you know, a, a whiskey review. Let's uh, look at, for example, my review of Nika from the Barrel, mm -hmm. which is a very famous blended whiskey released by Nika. It took me 18 months of research to get the level of information that I wanted to present in that video. And then there's typically 
over a number of days, but basically about 12 hours or so of work to bring all those words together. Then there's a day of filming. And then there's at least a day, if not longer, of editing. And so some people often ask me, they say, well, Mac, does it get faster as you go on? (laughs) And I think a lot of uh, video editors have this experience, which is where, yes, certain things become routine and those speed up. But as you edit more and more, you actually want to improve your editing. And so you bring in new elements, you're learning more, you're learning new things, um, which then kind of take up the time that you had actually uh, gained by just becoming faster uh, and, and, you know, and more polished on some of the things that you've been bringing in for a number of videos. So basically, that's kind of one, one low light is that the medium of video just is so demanding. It means that what has happened now in 2023 with the borders reopening and then Match and Planet coming back into force is that I haven't been able to release the same volume of content that I was able to release in 2021 and 2022. Because you're booked up again with tours. I am. And a lot of those tours are actually drinks-related tours. So whiskey tours, sake tours, craft beer tours, um, those all play in either where people want to book an evening, learning about uh, those categories, or where uh, this is typically what I like to do is where people book you know, a certain length of time, whether it's 8, 10, 12, 14 hours in one day. And we work in the the drinks around all of the other history and culture uh, and off the beaten track sites that we're visiting. Another low light, and this ties into the why it takes me, you know, 18 months to get the information to the level that I want to produce a video about a whiskey as ubiquitous as Nika from the barrel, is that there is a huge amount of obfuscation and a large lack of disclosure that surrounds Japanese whiskey. Now, in my former life, I was an equity analyst and there is absolutely a mentality, especially amongst big players in the industry, around not revealing things, around how everything is proprietary. And I think that transcends a number of industries. Luckily, a couple of things have happened since then. One is some of the newer entrants into the market, such as, for example, Kanosuke, have been very, very good about the level of information that they disclose. And I think very, very slowly that is going to change the attitudes of some of the big boys. But when I say very slowly, I mean on a glacial pace. Yeah. And the industry finally uh, came up with some standards in February 2021. In fact, my second video was about this very subject, these new uh, Japan whiskey standards, which are hopefully going to mean that bottles that have kanji on them and look like they should contain liquid that was distilled in Japan actually do have liquid that was, you know, uh, the fermentation process and distillation and maturation and bottling all actually took place in Japan. Right. This is absolutely the bane of our existence as well, just trying to pry the most basic of details out of some producers is like pulling teeth, honestly. It really shouldn't be that hard. And it seems like as the distillery, the size of the distillery often will dictate the amount of transparency that is allowed. So the bigger you go, the less or the more opaque, basically. So it's frustrating. I totally understand why you would want to include that as a low light. 
It's very strange to me that this lack of transparency is even allowed at a governmental level for a substance that people are putting in their bodies. Yeah. I mean, imagine if food labeling was as opaque as a lot of drinks labeling is. Be very, very strange. It would be a little bit scary. Yep. Yes, exactly. And and for me, it's just absolutely shocking that, you know, if a drink contains a certain uh, E-numbered coloring, you know, E-150A caramel coloring, that that is just not, it's not a legal requirement to have to disclose it. Yeah, they don't have to put it on the label. That's right. Exactly. It is strange too, because in the shochu industry, in the awamori industry, they do have to label all of those things. Right, which is fantastic. I mean, that's exactly what they should do. And then you can make your mind up whether it's going to be a real showstopper for you or whether the fact that a distillery wants a consistent color across all of its products all over the world is going to be uh, okay for you. It's For me, it's not, the issue is not what is done. The issue is the information around it. Right. And that's where I'm really hoping that very slowly over time, Campi Planet can be a force for change. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. I mean, one thing that's incredibly obvious from everything that you do, whether it's guiding or teaching people about Japan's beverage alcohol options, is that you have a very strong fascination with and a keen eye for Japanese culture, and perhaps especially popular culture. Is there anything that you are particularly interested in or do your tour guests tend to focus on some aspects of culture more than others? What what have you seen? I think one of the things that has distinguished uh, Match and Planet's offering from those of other tour companies is that everything we do is bespoke and fully customized. And also, I've tried to stay away a little bit from that compartmentalization of tourism and compartmentalization of uh, the way that tours are booked in order to bring a more holistic offering to people. So what I mean by that is you can go online um, and there are many, many tour aggregators out there uh, who will happily take your money in return for uh, a food tour or a whiskey tour or a culture tour or an anime tour. Sure. And the way the way I like to travel and my experience, again, from visiting over 100 countries is that all of these things are better when they're when they're mixed around. Mm. You know, uh, something like Japanese sake is so connected to, for example, the religious culture here, you know, Shintoism and Buddhism, that uh, to try to treat them in isolation, I think, leads to kind of an unfortunate lack of, you know, the full understanding that I think people are looking for. Right. You know, it's all very well uh, being able to rattle off um, obscure facts about the geography or history of of far flung lands. But, you know, as a guide, if you don't know the date that the Yamazaki distillery was, uh, well, the groundbreaking took place and then a year later when it opened, for me, that's much more important than knowing that, you know, Autodokan built the kind of prototype Edo Castle back in 1457. Mm. Right. So, that, I think, is what our guests, by virtue of the fact that they understand what we're trying to do, have enjoyed focusing on. And that's not one particular aspect, but the whole holistic offering. Sure, some people are less interested in visiting a garden uh, than others. Some people are less interested in uh, trying foods that are available in the US and want to focus, say, more on foods that are only available here. Uh, but you know, overall, uh, people really enjoy having uh, 
you know, this sort of non-compartmentalization of the history and culture, whether it's uh, culinary uh, or, you know, whether it's geographic, whatever it is, uh, that's what we try to offer. So the whole his holistic package, basically, it's uh, everything is contextualized and and built together, just like a day in the life here always is. Um, let's bring it back to the drinks business and spirits in particular. Any discoveries over the past few years as you've been focusing quite a lot of time initially on Kampai Planet? Now you are bringing people out and introducing them to drinks visa, via your activities with Maxion Planet. What are you excited about right now in the spirits world? Sure. Well, the first thing I've got to say is shochu. I think thanks to the work that you, uh, Stephen, and, and others have done in promoting uh, Japan's best-kept secret, what I'm finding is more of my guests uh, have started to see it popping up on restaurant menus, you know, started to see it popping up in cocktail bars, you know, in London, in Paris, in Berlin, in New York, in San Francisco, and are coming here with a curiosity that when I first started Match and Planet back in 2017, was actually very difficult to generate in people. Mm. So that's been an absolute joy to see that uh, rise in, in basically shochu awareness uh, over the last few years. I think the Kanosuke Whiskey Distillery down in Kagoshima, which is descended from Komasu Jozo, a shochu producer that's been around since 1883, has a part to play in that as well. So through all of these little individual actions of promotion, exporting, bringing awareness via more roundabout routes uh, to the drink, it's been a real joy to see that uh, grow over the last uh, five, six years. Yep, Kampai number two to shochu. Absolutely. Kampai. It must be really exciting for you to watch right now as all of these new distilleries come online, these new malt whiskey distilleries, even some grain whiskey distilleries, distilling operations. Uh, what has caught your attention? You're absolutely right. I guess that comes under drinks discoveries as well. You know, uh, the fact that, you know, if we look back 10 years ago, we had what, around 10 or so Japanese whiskey distilleries. And now we have over 70 license holders. And that number is growing really week by week. It's insane. And it's been interesting. I think what has been of most interest for me is really trying to keep up with this and also trying to separate, pun intended, some of the wheat from the chaff. Hmm. Uh, because not all of them come with the same pedigree going into it. Sure. Not all of them come with the same seriousness that the job of whiskey production entails. And it's going to be interesting to see how this huge number, which is growing, like I say, week by week, month by month, is going to shake out over the next five or 10 years. But right now, there is such huge demand for anything where the words single malt Japanese whiskey or even just Japanese whiskey, as you say, there are some grain distilleries coming online as well. Uh, the, the demand for Japanese whiskey is so huge, I actually feel that consumers are perhaps not being as discerning as they should and are treating the whole category uh, with um, you know, a, a quality bias that perhaps is not justified at certain producers. I couldn't agree more, and I will not name any names, but yes, there is absolutely 
a spectrum of quality out there, as with all things. And there are certainly a number of new producers who could probably faithfully be accused of just jumping on the bandwagon and putting some dark spirit in a bottle and trying to make a quick buck, unfortunately. But them's the breaks. Um, you also spent some time, I, th- I believe it was on a press junket down in Okinawa at one point during the uh, less import-heavy times and uh, inbound tourism times. What was that like and what did you discover down there? Yes, I did. In October 2020, I was invited to a tourism expo down in Okinawa, which allowed me to uh, visit uh, some Awamori distilleries. One of the favorite drinks-related experiences I had down there was visiting Chuko Shuzo, which is an absolutely spectacular place. Anybody who's going to the capital, Naha, really needs to spend at least half a day out with those guys. The tour is super interesting. Oh, yes. I second that. Absolutely. Really amazing tour. And then their tasting room is fantastic. They're very generous uh, with their samples. And if you spend over a certain amount, they'll actually ship uh, uh, for free uh, your uh, bottles uh, back to Tokyo. So uh, I had a really fantastic time. I was very lucky, actually, to end up drinking with Oshiro-san, who's the president of the company now. Oh, I'm still alive. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that was what my reaction was. That can, yeah, uh, he, he, he's, uh, he's done this before, I guess we'll just say. Yeah, uh, he definitely uh, impressed me with his, um, how to say, generosity. Uh, <laughs> I, did, I did wonder if he was matching me drink for drink, but um, yeah, very, 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 very good man. Yeah. I also visited the secret Awamori bar, Awamori Soko, which was absolutely incredible. It is indeed. That's one of my favorite places in the country to go and have a drink. It can be, it's simultaneously very relaxing to sit in there. And then if you're at the counter and you have a chance to talk with Higasan, it can be incredibly educational as well. He just can really spin together interesting tales that are steeped in history and and tie it all back to Okinawan culture, which is really cool, um, which is why he's kind of a, a consider, considered a little bit of a Naha treasure himself. And he flies all over the country to represent Awamori to uh, far-flung audiences. He's absolutely a wonderful person to have a drink with. I think that we're going to see a bit of a change uh, with uh, the popularity and international presence of Awamori over the next five years. You know, if we, we've talked about Shochu being Japan's best-kept culinary secret over the last uh, decade or so. Well, you know, Awamori is even less known than that. But yeah. a variety of flavors that these guys can produce, a range of alcohol uh, levels that they're making the drink at, um, uh, you know, the, just the branding alone is absolutely fantastic. You know, I've never seen a, an Awamori bottle that I didn't think was just fascinating design-wise to look at. Um, yeah. the, the heritage of, of this drink being made, you know, through the, the Ryukyu Kingdom and, you know, the, the, and uh, its influence actually then on spirit production on mainland Japan. Yeah. I think all of this is going to be... Uh, it's going to be uh, huge for Okinawa and for Awamori over the next five years or so. Uh, I, I certainly am rooting for that outcome. 
well, let me let me reframe this a little bit. We'll take it back to your own businesses and the things that are, you know, the things that you're excited to get out of bed for every day. Where do you think you may be taking it from here? I think uh, with Match and Planet, the demand has been huge, and it, it might be time to grow uh, Match and Planet outside of you know, the tour business that it is, uh, to, uh, something a little bit bigger. So that's all I'm going to say at this stage Okay. with Kanpai planet. I want to just be able to find the time to go back to making regular videos. And very soon, uh, we'll be launching canpiplanet.com, the website. So that will allow me to put out content that perhaps won't be as in depth as the videos, but still more regularly than producing, you know, a, a 10 minute uh, highly tuned production. Uh, and so be able to just get more and more information out about Japan's drink scene on a more regular basis. That would be phenomenal to see. That would be an excellent resource for many. And as, as you know, please keep us in mind if you ever want to collaborate or if you need any, any help with anything, then We'd love to be involved. That's fantastic. Kampaiplanet.com coming soon. Yeah, you heard it here first. And absolutely, I think what's really interesting is there are quite a few of us working on uh, promoting Japan's drinks across various categories. So whiskey perhaps promotes itself at the moment. But in terms of Nihonshu, um, Shochu, Awamori, they really do need some help still to get the word out about how great they are overseas. And so it's always fantastic that, you know, whether it's Japan Distilled, uh, Kanpai Planet, uh, Sake On Air, all of us can collaborate together to really, you know, get the, get the information out and get the message out about just how wonderful these drinks are. Well, you know what? We made it all the way to the end of our discussion and I didn't detect many baseball references. So maybe I should add one here at the end. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy tour schedule mac to uh tee this up with me oh that's not baseball that's golf oh well whatever it's fine thank you mac my absolute pleasure thank you all very much for listening if you have not already then please consider both rating and reviewing the japan distilled podcast wherever you enjoy listening to it it really helps others to find the show and of course it also boosts our egos and please feel free to reach out to us on twitter or instagram you can find me at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and at Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram and now Spoutable as well. How about you, Mac? You can find Maction Planet, the travel side of what I do at MactionPlanet.com and Kanpai Planet at YouTube.com slash Kanpai Planet. And for both of those platforms, I'm at Maction Planet and at Kanpai Planet across Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and even TikTok. Oh, wow. Of course, don't forget to sign up for the Japan Distilled Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Japan Distilled. Until next time, kanpai. Kanpai. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled Podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. 
Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. Time.